Well, good morning. Can I extend my welcome to you if you're a visitor here this morning? We are uh, continuing with our uh, series on Acts. And there's a principle that's very important to us as a church. Uh, There's a principle that's very important to the other churches in New Ground, and no doubt to the churches that Steve and the team are talking to in Brazil. There's a principle that's very important to many, many churches throughout this country and indeed throughout the world. And that principle is simply this. If we want a model of what church should be like, if we want a blueprint, if we want a template, if we want to understand what God wants the church to be, then the blessed place to look is the book of Acts, to look at the early church. Uh, That in itself is a remarkable principle. That's an incredible thing to say because we live in a world, we live in a society that so often wants to look ahead and say, well, what's what's next year's model? For those of you with, uh, that can afford new cars or new phones or the new I whatever, What's the next year's model? What's it going to become? And when we talk about church, God actually says, well, actually, why don't you look in another direction? Why don't you look back in history? Why don't you look at the early church? Because that is the model that I want you to follow. Now, that doesn't mean to say that we all move to warmer climes and become fishermen. That might be quite attractive with the weather we've got at the moment. It doesn't mean to say that we learn to speak another language, that we change our style of dress. But it does mean that the way that God works with his church is the same, whether we're in the 21st century or the 1st century. It does mean that the expectations that we have of God for how he works with us are the same. And so we can open up this book and we can see how God spoke to his early church. We can see how the early church acts and organise themselves and say, that is what we want to do. That's what we want to be. And, and there's actually a challenge here for every one of us because as we look and as we go through Acts, as we are doing in this series, if we see stuff in there that we're not doing, the question has to be, why not? And if we're doing stuff that we actually really can't justify from here, again, the question has to be, then why are we doing it? We want to line ourselves up with Scripture. That's true for for the whole of Scripture. We want to line our lives up with Scripture. But when we talk about church, we want to line ourselves up with the model and the pattern that we see in the book of Acts. And that's really exciting. It's really exciting in times of uncertainty, and we live in uncertain times, that we can see a consistent and a caring God who works in the same way with his people. So with that in mind, can you turn with me to Acts chapter 1? And we are picking up the story. If you are just joined us, if you're a visitor here, then you are right at the beginning of this story. Please come along for the, I don't know how many more weeks it will be before we get to Acts 28. Uh, You might want to reserve your seat for these uh, future sessions. But we are still in Acts chapter 1 and starting at verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. 
And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James, just to differentiate himself from the other Judas who we'll come to in a moment. All these were with one accord, uh, were, draw, uh, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture has to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in the ministry. Uh, and then in verse 18, there's some brackets. So Luke, uh, Luke just gives us a little side, gives us a little reminder of the story so far. This isn't Peter's now talking in Acts 18. Luke is just butting into the story. He's reminded us. And Luke says, now, now this man, talking of Judas, acquired a field with the reward for his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to the, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that that field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, the field of blood. Uh, and now, again, those brackets close. So in verse 20, we're going back to Peter speaking. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during this time that the Lord Jesus went in and went out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us to witness his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you Lord, you know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry of apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Father, thank you for your word. Just pray you'd help us now to uh, understand this and to learn from it. Amen. Well, well, <laughs> well. <laughs> It's kind of interesting how, how dare I... No, I'm going to say it anyway, I should say. It's, it's about how the lots fall. <laughs> because last week uh, we, we had uh, uh, Steve talking on the ascension, that, that wonderful story as Jesus is taken up to heaven. Uh, next week we've got the coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh, what have we got in the middle? How the lots have fallen. We've got Judas falling over and his... Bowels spilling out. We've got casting lots for disciples. We've got me standing up here saying, this is how we model our lives. As a New Testament church, do I want to change my perspective on all of that? Well, no, I don't. This is such an important passage. It would be, actually, it would be so easy to kind of do the beginning of Acts 1 and then kind of surreptitiously jump over to Acts chapter 2 and say, don't worry about that bit there. That's the challenge of actually working through a book of Scripture verse by verse by verse. You come to not difficult verses. There's no difficult verses in Scripture. There's just verses that need a little bit more explanation. So what's going on here? Now, I said, and I stand by what I said right at the beginning, the premise that we hold true to is the church that we read of in Acts is the church that we want to be. 
So what I want to do this morning is I want to draw out three what I think are remarkable parallels between this early church and us. That, I think, is the core message within this passage. But I can't ignore the, frankly, two elephants in the room. The two things that we actually need to talk about, which are the things that people see first here when they look at this passage, the two issues that we have. And one of them is, uh, uh, what are we doing with this casting lots business? And let's talk about Judas. Because if I said this is our model, if Acts is our go-to book for how we do church, then I think it's probably fair to say that Acts 1 isn't our go-to chapter for how we elect church leaders. See, I don't remember when uh, Justin and uh, Joe uh, and Richard and Chris, when they came into eldership here, I don't remember us putting names in a hat. Did I miss that? Was there a point where we stuck those four names in a hat, we stuck in a two, two more for kind of good measure and said, first four out, they're our new elders? I, can't, I don't think we did it that way. And so the question is, if, if this is how we're reading of the church electing leaders and elders in Acts, uh, what are we doing uh, here? You know, we don't seem to have these lots. It kind of might work for selecting which team's going to play who in the World Cup, but it's actually not a model for church eldership. And so the question is, what's going on here when they're casting lots to elect elders? And when people think of casting lots in scripture, say, well, where do we find that? They often think of the soldiers who cast lots for Jesus' clothes as he was on the cross. Um, And that's not really the same kind of thing that we're talking of here. Those soldiers were gambling. Uh, We wouldn't condone anybody at the foot of the cross arguing over who's going to have his clothes. But when we talk about casting lots, it's a very, very strong and clear principle in the Old Testament. It's the way people were led and guided in those days. In Leviticus, uh, it talks of uh, the Old Testament law about how people's sins were dealt with, uh, the rules and the regulations in Leviticus. And Leviticus 16, it talks about this idea of the scapegoat. And the way that people's sins were dealt with in those days is there will be two goats that were selected and brought forward. uh, And one of them would be sacrificed and the blood placed on the altar. Uh, The other goat, the high priest, would lay his hands on that goat, uh, symbolically sort of transferring all the sins of the people into that goat, and that goat would be driven into the wilderness, taking the the sins of the people away. Now, why am I talking about that? Well, they cast lots to determine which goat would be sacrificed and which goat would be driven into the wilderness. Now, you might think that's all a bit... Academic, it's not academic if you're the goat. One goat's going to make it, one goat isn't. But the point was, this was a scriptural way in the Old Testament of determining God's will and God's purpose. Uh, In Numbers, when we come to, uh, when when the land is apportioned between the 12 tribes, we we read in Numbers that they cast lots for who would have what bit of the land. Uh, it actually says there that, that the largest tribe would get the largest bit of land. This is something we'll come back to in a moment. The smaller tribe will get a smaller bit of land. But then, as you, you look on in, in Numbers 26, they say, but then they cast lots 
to see which family within each tribe would get which bit of land. And that doesn't sound very kind of scriptural to our 21st century way of thinking about how we're led and guided. The story of Jonah. Jonah was, uh, uh, I'm sure many of you know the story of Jonah. When, when, the, when the storm came and the boat started to sink and the sailors said, let's inquire of God who's the cause of this calamity. They cast lots. And it says in Jonah, the lot fell to Jonah. And so that's why Jonah was, was thrown overboard. And so you have, throughout Scripture, you have this principle of casting lots to determine God's will. And so the apostles here, in seeking someone to replace Judas, are casting lots. You see, the interesting question or the interesting point is not that they cast lots. The interesting point was, this was the last time in Scripture that we read of people casting lots. Because what was the difference between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2? Well, the difference is fairly obvious. The Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit fell. And so from Acts chapter 2, people are being led by the Holy Spirit. And so from Acts chapter 2, you don't get, and they cast lots. You get people saying, and it felt right to us, or God in his spirit led us to, or we felt the Holy Spirit leading us here. That's the way the guidance comes now. So, good news for the guys that are elders at the moment. Your names aren't going back in the hat anytime soon. We've elected you through the right and proper way of trusting and praying and seeking God and hearing what he has to say. But it is a challenge verse when you get to Acts and think, well, hey, this is what we're modelling ourselves on. Now, what of Judas, the second uh, elephant in the room, so to speak? Uh, this verse that uh, we don't like reading. Uh, I wonder what our kids are doing down the road or down the hall there. I think they might be doing Jonah. I think I saw sort of the ark. It's very hard. When you see a kid's drawing of a big boat, you're not quite sure if they're doing Jonah or if they're doing, uh, doing the ark. Anybody know what, what the kids are working through? I should have asked. Oh, okay. No, nothing to do with boats. <laughs> nothing to do with boats. Okay, fine. <laughs> I, I, I guess I, 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 whatever they're doing, I'm pretty sure they're kind of not doing Acts 1, whatever it was, with Judas. That's probably not a verse. Judas fell down and his bowels spilled out. Kids, would you like to do a drawing of that one for us that we can put on the fridge when we get home? You know, that's not the passage that we do in Sunday school. And the astute ones of you might notice that, that Matthew talks about Judas's death and most people, when you ask the question, how did Judas die? Well, it's Judas hung himself. And that kind of becomes interesting because if we've got a, a gospel that says Judas went out and hung himself and now we've got Luke writing in Acts that he fell over in a field and this kind of happened, you have to say, well, kind of what's, what is the answer? What did happen to Judas? And the short answer is it's that they're both writers, Luke and Matthew, are telling us the same event. What in all likelihood, if, if you imagine a very hot climate, when, some, if, when a body dies in a hot climate, it will decompose very rapidly. And so what is very, almost certainly happened was that Judas went out, bought a field, had a field, hung himself in remorse, and that body would have decayed very, very rapidly such that when it came to be cut down or the branch broke or for whatever reason that body fell, frankly, it's a medical fact. Bodies will break open when they have decomposed. 
You're looking forward to doing that one, aren't you guys? Yeah, it's great to see Nathan and Hannah with us. You're usually doing the kids down there. You see, the one time you're in here, the one time you're in here, guys, I'm telling you what you need to do with the kids. But there you go. Work on that one. Uh, that one that's a great story. But so, so that's kind of what has happened to, to, to Judas. But those, you see, I don't think are the heart of this story. They're the sort of things that we see. They're the sort of things that we read. And so often with scripture, it's the little things that are important. So if I want to compare the New Testament church with our church here, I'm going to see some different things. I'm going to see some very powerful things that that I want to draw out. First thing that I want to draw out is what I would call approaching God. Approaching God. Because when we look at this passage... It's a very interesting phrase that we can so often overlook because we think, well, there's no news, new news here. There's nothing to see here. That's kind of what happens. So if you look in Acts 1, verse 14, they've gathered in the upper room, and Acts 1, 14 says this, all of them with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. They prayed. So if my first point is, let's pray, you might say, well, that's not exactly rocket science. That's point number one, let's pray. But just think for a moment, what's going on in this situation here? Because frankly, up till now, these disciples have had Jesus with them. We read lots of times when Jesus tells them, this is how you pray, and we get the Lord's Prayer, and Jesus instructs them about the importance of prayer and the need to pray to their Father. And, but we don't often, in the Gospels, read of the disciples getting together for a prayer meeting. Now, they may have done that, but, but they've got Jesus with them. But now, suddenly, in Acts 1, their default mode, when a crisis hits, is so commendable. It's, let's get together and pray. Now, these guys are probably facing persecution for their faith. Jesus has just been hung. These guys are facing uncertainty. What's going on? The default reaction, I think, for many of us in these circumstances will be, let's head for the hills. Let's let's hide. Let's kind of make ourselves scarce from the Jerusalem area because things aren't looking good. Their default action was they gathered and they prayed. And I think that's so remarkable that that, that we need to see that. We need to see this wonderful picture of probably the first church meeting in a sense that we would think of a church meeting. You know, God has met with his people throughout history, throughout the Old Testament. God has come on his people. But here in this upper room, in Acts chapter 1, is the church as we would perhaps recognise it and know it and see it. And what is the thing that they're doing They're praying. I think that's just so powerful and so important. Second thing that they're doing, that I think is just absolutely stunning, is that they're applying scripture. Applying scripture. It's interesting, it says here that Peter stood up and spoke. And uh, Peter, it's interesting to what Peter actually does. I don't know if you, you, you caught on to this as we went through this passage. It says, Peter sta- stood up and quoted from the book of Psalms. 
And he said a couple of things, and Luke records the couple of passages that, that Peter said. He said, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. And then he has another one. He says, let, him, let another take his office. Now, I don't exactly want to um, uh, criticise Luke. But in all fairness, he doesn't give us the whole story here. He's kind of given us these, these two passages that you think, yeah, okay. So you, you found this verse in Scripture that says, let another take his office. And from that, we're going to join these dots and think, well, maybe we need to appoint another apostle. Well, actually, what we need to do is we need to look at the Psalms and the actual verses that Peter is actually quoting. Because when we go around those, we find something quite remarkable. It says in Psalm 109, which is the one that Peter quotes from, where it says, may another take his office. That's Psalm 109, verse 8. So there's a couple of verses earlier. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. Is this starting to sound very similar to the cross and the crucifixion? When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted a sin. We're talking of Judas here. May his days be few. Judas has gone out and he's hung himself. And then it says, may another take his office. And when you look in uh, Psalm 69, which was the other one that says, may their camp or may his camp be desolation, when you look uh, around that, it's talking there about, uh, for they persecute him whom you struck down. And they recount the pain of those you have wounded. Let them be blotted out of the book of life. And so what Peter is doing, is Peter knows scripture. Peter knows scripture. But actually, I think what's also happening here is God is speaking to Peter and saying, Peter, there's a verse in Psalms that quite frankly, until this moment in time, until the time of Judas, would have been a psalm of David that people would have read and said, yeah, David's talking about his troubles. He's talking about the fact that he's surrounded by enemies. He's talking about people giving false witness to him. And Peter suddenly makes this connection and says, guys, I think God's speaking to us through this verse about our situation here, about Judas. And yes, that, that leads them to we need to elect another apostle to replace Judas. But actually what that does is it brings comfort and it brings assurance. And here are people who are saying, what comes next? Have we suddenly lost our way in God's plan? No, God's plan is unchanging. We know that because, hey, here's this verse. And isn't that what we do Sunday by Sunday? We've had that this morning. People have come forward and said, hey, I've got this verse in Scripture. Uh, I just want to share that with you. There are people here that have got uh, visions that, that haven't quite been realised yet. I, I could be sitting there thinking, well, that one doesn't apply to me. I don't know where you got that verse from. Well, hey, God gave it to you. And there are people here that it does apply to. And so that's what we want to do. We want to be open to the Holy Spirit to plant those seeds and for somebody to bring a verse and say, hey, God's just, just 
reminded me of this verse. I think it talks into our situation today. And we suddenly say, oh yeah, that's right. That's how we use scripture. That's how we apply scripture. They prayed. They approached God. They applied scripture. Third thing that I want to suggest is a wonderful comparison between us and this early church is they accepted all. There was unity here. Because actually, the other little phrase here that that, that, uh, I was just arrested at and stopped by was just this simple phrase where it says, Peter stood up and said. And I wasn't actually interested, I was later on, but I wasn't actually interested in what Peter said. I was actually first arrested by the fact that Peter actually stood up and said anything. I was actually amazed by the fact that the other people let Peter stand up and say anything. Because who's this Peter? This is the Peter that denied Christ. This is the the one trusted guy who's just dropped the ball, who's denied Christ and run away. And yes, Jesus has come alongside him later and said, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And and Jesus has recommissioned Peter. But but I sense that was a very private thing. I wonder how many of these 120 believers knew that Jesus had recommissioned Peter. I wonder how many of these 120 believers just still saw Peter as, well, he was the one that denied Christ. He was the one that ran away. He was the one that, that dropped the ball. How can he now stand up and speak and presume to still lead us and to speak on our behalf? But that's the forgiveness of the gospel. That when we fail, and we all fail in various ways, God will recommission us and we can carry on serving him and doing what he wants us to do. Peter was in many ways a failure. But also there's many people in this story who I'm trying to get things that start with the same letter so we're failed and we're frustrated. Uh, There might be a better word, but actually the guy that I'm also thinking of as I read through this story is actually not so much Judas, not so much Peter. I wonder how many of you spare a thought for Joseph Barsabbas? Not a lot. Put yourself in this bloke's shoes for just a moment, okay? So here we are. We have uh, a group of men that have been walking with Jesus from the beginning, from the beginning, and they're your Peter and James and John, your Bartholomews. They're your apostles. And there's 12 of them because that's a, that's, a, that's a good number. That's an appointed number by God. You have 12 tribes of Israel. You have 12 apostles. That kind of works. There's been a few more guys that have been with Jesus from the beginning. Uh, They didn't make the cut to be apostles, okay? One of them's called Matthias. And this great opportunity comes up because Judas has now uh, turned to the wrong way. There's a vacancy that has opened up. There's a vacancy that's opened up. And how many guys are there that can fulfil this job description? of trusted and having walked with Jesus from the beginning. Hey, there's two guys. There's two guys, Matthias 
and Joseph Barsabbath. We got a pool of two people to pick from and we got one vacancy and the lot falls to Matthias. How do you think Joseph Barsabbas felt? Have you ever been in that position before where you think everybody else has kind of got the good cut? The lots have fallen. I'm going to keep using that phrase. The lots have fallen for them. But what about me? Where's my opportunity to serve? It's interesting that uh, when you get on to Acts chapter 12, James, another one of the apostles, is actually killed. Uh, there's no casting of lots to see who replaces James. There's no, oh, actually, fortunately, we've got one bloke left. We've got to slot him in quick. No, because there's a difference between Judas, who, who turned away from God, and James, who clearly didn't. So in heaven, there are 12 apostles. There will be 12 apostles. Judas won't be one of them. Matthias will be. Those are the 12 apostles that are appointed throughout time. But what about Joseph Barsabbath? We've talked about, again, people have brought words about, hey, have you had visions and dreams? Have you had words spoken over you that, that haven't yet been realised? What about this bloke? What does he do for Acts 2, 3, 4, 5 and 6, thinking I'm the only guy that didn't make the cut? It's interesting because there is a hierarchy. Of, we talk about equality, there's the old phrase, some are more equal than others. Um, whenever the apostles are spoken of, it's, it's, it's uh, Peter, James and John. They seem to be the three that are at the centre of things. They're the ones that, that witness the transfiguration. Uh, uh, two of them are the ones that go to the tomb. You seem to have among the twelve, you have the three, and kind of then you have the other nine. Uh, and the interesting thing, and I said it two weeks ago, I said, when the, although this book is called The Acts of the Apostles, it's actually really the Acts of Peter and Paul, who wasn't an apostle but came later. Uh, these great guys in Acts chapter 1, they actually don't get much of a mention after Acts chapter 1. Apart from one guy who seems to crop up in Acts chapter 15 and verse 22. And it says in Acts 15 and verse 22, it says there, it seemed good to the apostles and the elders and the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And they sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Barnabas, and, sorry, and Silas. Now, this is a Judas Barsabbas. It's not, it's, not it's not a Joseph Barsabbas. But the names are very, very similar. There's, there's a root connection between calling somebody Joseph in Acts, and he's called Justice, and Justice has a very similar root definition to Judas. And so this is conjecture, frankly, on, on my part. We could be talking about a brother. We could be talking about another person completely. But I like to see the Joseph Barsabbas, who didn't make the cut in Acts chapter 1, as being the Judas Barsabbath is talking of here in Acts 15. It says here, they sent Judas called Barsabbath and Silas, leading men among the brothers. Leading men among the brothers. It's interesting, um, Joe just read out Steve's letter from Brazil. Uh, 
We, yeah, we don't add to scripture. I can't do that. We, we can't slot this one in the back, can we? You know, Steve won the letter from Brazil. I'm not suggesting that, please, anybody listening to the tapes. But, but, but hey, there's some interesting parallels there. He's saying, uh, Steve was saying, oh, yeah, we, we've gone out to Brazil with, with myself. We, we know Danny. He's gone with Danny. And uh, 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 he's gone with Jim Partridge. Many of us, you, you know Jim Partridge from, from the Mid-Sussex Church. And, uh, and was it J- James... Yeah, and we were sitting there thinking, Who, does anybody know this James? <laughs> and we were, we were thinking, no, we don't. But they've gone with James, who we're pretty sure is a leading man among the brothers. So they've gone and they're teaching. And, and this man, who may or may not be an elder, James, if you ever get to listen to this, I'm apology, I'm making great big assumptions here about you, and I've never met you, but forgive me. Um, I don't know if he's an elder or not, but... But he's a leader among the churches, and he's been sent to serve. And so I love the fact that, that whilst none of the other apostles, bar Peter and James, seem to get much of a mention after Acts chapter 1, Judas bar Sabbath does seem to crop up as somebody who's still working, still serving, still taking the gospel out there. So can I encourage you this morning, if you think time has passed me by, Where's my opportunity to serve? I didn't make the cut. God will still use you, can use you, is using you in a mighty way. And as we close, because time has passed us by again, can I close by saying the whole point of what we've been doing this morning as we've looked at this passage is quite frankly to find certainty in times of uncertainty. When the world around us is changing and we don't know which way to turn, here is our go-to solution. And for life and all the problems that life might throw at us, here's our go-to solution. For our church, how we act as a church, how we organise ourselves, how we set ourselves big visions for the coming year, where do we find the justification for that? We find it in here. And we will, I trust, as we go through Acts, I certainly will, as as I get opportunity to share again, I will keep coming back to this book saying, is this what we're doing? Because if we don't see it in here, then we shouldn't be doing it. And if we do see it in here, then we should be doing it. And that's what Acts is all about, to use that great subtitle that, that we've got for this series, Acts, Church as it should be. And we're going to keep labouring after that until we are the church that God wants us to be. Let's pray. Father, just thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement that you give us. Thank you for the, for the way that you are building your people. And, and every one of us has a role and a part to play. Every one of us is knitted into your story. Every one of us has an assurance Uh, that you are a good God who has good plans and good purposes for us, that you won't let us go. Oh, Father, help us to to play our part, to play our role, to to, to write our part of this great story, to, Lord, be part of your church in these exciting times and to, to take the gospel, as it says right at the beginning there, to Jerusalem and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Whatever that means. Amen. Time has passed us by, so 